I want to start this morning um, by testing your memories, and this will be a little bit more of a test for some of you than others, depending on how far back uh, you've got to try and um, and remember. Um, but I want you to think back and try to remember how you would have answered a question that I'm pretty sure every single one of us um, would have been asked, and maybe it's a question that some of you still get asked now. Um, and the question that, that I think we've probably all been asked at some point, I want you to, to think back to and remember how you would have answered is, what did you want to be or what would you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's uh, one of those inevitable questions that we, we all face, isn't it? Um, and I remember when I was really young, um, the first thing that I really wanted to be when I grew up was a pilot. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and I used to love planes, and you know, I remember him taking me up, and so I wanted to be a pilot. And then as I got a little bit bigger, I wanted to be a musician, and my whole of my life was kind of about music, and um, you know, spent most of my Saturdays either playing in a band or in a guitar shop somewhere, or something like that, and my life revolved around music. Now, obviously, though, God had other ideas, and as things kind of move on in life, your direction changes. You know, and it might be that we, we don't get asked that question anymore. Some of us are probably a little bit older, and, uh, and we don't get asked what we want to be when we grow up anymore. It's not someone, something anybody's asked me for a little while. But while we might not get asked that question, the essence of the question we still kind of ask ourselves, and we still revisit. What's my life about? Where am I heading? How am I looking to, to grow rather than just to, to stay in the, in the same place and stand still in life? You know, and, and these are the kind of questions that we all face every day. Uh, we all face continuously, no matter what age we are or how old we are. And we face these kind of questions in, in every area of our lives. You know, when we talk, we talk about how we're developing our careers. We, we talk about how we can grow in our marriages and in our relationships. We talk about honing our skills. You know, there is something in us which is wired to, to be looking for what's next. And we kind of have that mentality and have that way of approaching life that wherever we are, whatever's going on, we're looking for what's next, what's coming, for how we can grow, for how we can go deeper, for how we can be better. And I think this kind of, of drive is within us because it's part of the way that God has made us. He didn't design us to, to, to stand still and to become like a, a stagnant lake. To be stuck in one place with, with no change and no growth and no development. He designed us to be a people who are always looking to go deeper. A people who are looking to grow, who realize that there is something more that God has for us. There is something more that God has for us in every area of our lives. There's something more that God has for us in our workplace. There's something more that God has for us in our marriages and in our relationships. You know, but nowhere is this more true and nowhere is this more significant than in our relationship with God. You know, one of the amazing things that I love about God is the fact that he is infinite. And the fact that there is no end to him. And so he has made us and designed us in light of the fact that he is infinite to always be looking to go deeper and to plumb something more of the depths of who he is. And something more of the depths of what it is that he has for us. To be growing in our relationship with him, to be growing in our understanding of him, to be growing in our experience of him at work in us and through us in the lives of others. 
And you know, recently we've been taking some time to, to unpack a vision that God gave to a, a prophet called Ezekiel um, in a series flow. And this morning is probably going to be with the last of our, our messages coming out of Ezekiel 47. And um, one of the things that has really stirred my heart as we've been going through this series, one of the things that's really kind of captured my imagination as we've been looking at these verses is the reality that there is something more that God has for us. There is something more that God has for us as individuals and there is something more that God has for us as a church. And, you know, it's captured so beautifully in this picture of, of a river. You know, in the river of God, of the, the life of God, which flows from the temple, which flows from the presence of God, and how we're to come to the river to drink, we're to, we're to receive from God and allow the river to flow into us, and then also to allow the river to, to almost birth a spring within us so it flows out from us to impact others. And one of the defining features of this river in this picture that God gives to Ezekiel is that it's always growing. It never stands still. There's always something more that God has for Ezekiel to step into. This is what we read in verses 1 to 6. It says, The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? See, the river begins as nothing more than a trickle. But then God takes Ezekiel deeper and deeper, and deeper, and deeper, until finally he's asked, Son of man, Ezekiel, do you see this? Do you get it? There is something more that I have for you. I don't want you to stay in the shallows. I want you to step out and to to take the plunge and to go deeper. I want you to grow in your experience of me at work in your life. I want you to, to grow. This is a picture that he's giving to Ezekiel, not just for himself, but for the nation. I want you to grow and to step out as a nation together to discover something more of what it is that I have for you. Something more of the Holy Spirit flowing into you so that you will be transformed. And you will know life to the full. And something of the river flowing out from you to bring life to others. And a number of weeks ago, you know, I asked the question, well, what is the river? And we discovered together that it isn't really a, a what, it's a who, it's the Holy Spirit. And so the question that I want to ask this morning is, how can we grow? How can we go deeper in the Holy Spirit? How can we grow in the Holy Spirit so that we experience something of the more that God has for us, not only individually, but together? 
Something of the more of the transforming power of God at work within our lives, setting us free, bringing us life, bringing us hope. And something more of God working through us. Not only as individuals, but as a church when we gather. And so to help us answer that question, we're not just going to look at a few verses or a couple of verses. We're going to try and look at a whole book of the Bible. That might sound like a little bit of a daunting task, but we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And now I'm only going to touch on a few of the different verses um, in, in this letter to the Ephesians, but I want to encourage you to, to try and make some time this week to read the book of Ephesians, to read this letter. It's not long, it's only six chapters, so I'm not giving you an onerous task to do that's going to take hours. But in it, Paul teaches us so much about how we can grow in the Holy Spirit. Now in chapters 1 to 3, which I'm not going to talk about a lot this morning, but in chapters 1 to 3, Paul lays the groundwork. He knows that he's writing to a people in the city of Ephesus. And, and this is a city where the dominant culture is one of, uh, which is caught up in the occult. And, and so these are people who understand, before anything that's come in terms of a message of Jesus, they understand the reality of the spiritual realm. They understand the reality of, of spiritual warfare. And so first and foremost, Paul is laying the groundwork by encouraging them that once they have given their lives to Jesus, they can rest in the confidence and security that they are on the winning side. That in this spiritual battle that they already know about, they are on the winning side. Paul reminds them and and us as believers in, in Jesus that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit and so our salvation is secure. Uh, that we have a new relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit, that because of the Holy Spirit, we have access into the throne of God, into the presence of God, but also because of the Holy Spirit, as he comes into our own lives, we know God with us and in us 24-7. And so there's a complete redefinition of what our relationship with God looks like because of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's whole kind of purpose in these first chapters seems to be to build up our faith as to what it is to be a spirit-filled people. And then in chapters 4 to 6, Paul changes tack. And his focus becomes on how can we grow in the Holy Spirit? And how can we live more and more in the victory that Christ has already won? And that's really a key part of, of what my heart is for us as a church, not only this morning, but as we go forwards, that we would grow in the Holy Spirit. And that step by step we would live individually and together in something more of the victory that Jesus has already won. So what kind of things does does Paul say are important if we're going to grow in the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, if we're going to grow in the Spirit, we have to keep the unity of the Spirit. In Ephesians 4 verses 2 to 4, Paul writes this, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Paul is making an an important point. And he's saying that God has done an amazing thing, an amazing miracle, bringing together two previously divided and irreconcilable people in the Jews and the Gentiles, joining them together to be one body of people. You know, and Paul, you know, if you look around here, Paul's kind of point would be the same for us. 
You know, here around the room, there is a miracle which God has done in bringing us together, such a diverse group of people from different backgrounds and with different ages and different experiences. Without Jesus, most of us here would probably have no reason to really speak to each other. So it was what Paul is saying, God has done an amazing thing. He has made you his dwelling place. He has filled you with one spirit. He has called you to one hope. He has declared you to be one body. And so he says, since that's the case, since this has happened, God has brought you together as this great diverse variety of people. He's united you together already. Since that's the case, your job... Your job is now to make every effort to do everything you can to keep the unity of the Spirit. He's saying God has taken the initiative to unite us together, so don't mess it up. Don't mess up what God has already done amongst us. It's not that we have to work really hard and and do all these different things to be united and to, to be in unity. It's that God has already done that. He's already united us. We're already in unity. In the spirit, we're already one. Our job is just to guard it. It's to keep it. It's to not mess it up. And this is important because if we mess up in this area, we miss out on so much of what God has for us. You know, elsewhere in Psalm 133, we read that where the brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there God commands the blessing. If we want to live under the blessing of God, if we want to grow in the Holy Spirit and experience something more of God at work in our lives and through us, then Paul says we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And Paul knows this is a big deal. He knows this is a very real battleground that isn't necessarily easy. He knows that this is one of the ways that the enemy will come in to try and stop people and stop churches from being able to grow and move forwards in what it is that God has for them. You know, you don't have to put up your hand or anything, but just be honest with yourself. How many of you have had the opportunity to be offended or hurt or upset by someone in the church over the last year? How many of you in the last week? You know, the reality is that God has brought us together. He has united us together and we're all different. We all have different personalities and different backgrounds. There's something beautiful about that diversity and how amazing it is and the miracle that God brings us together. But at the same time, we're all a work in progress. We're all at different stages in life. We all have different ways of communicating, different things that we're sensitive to. And so we all have a rather annoying ability and capacity to wind one another up and to upset one another and to annoy one another and to irritate one another, to offend one another. And so Paul is saying, even within this united body of the church, People will irritate you. People will let you down. People will hurt you. And it can be hard. That's the reality of it. But he says, don't let that kind of stuff, 
Don't let the kind of stuff that comes from the flesh, the kind of stuff that, that comes from the part of us that is not yet fully like Jesus. Don't let the kind of stuff that like that get between you and your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Don't make that stuff an excuse for a bad attitude and for holding on to grudges. Don't let that kind of stuff start messing up the good thing that God has already begun in bringing us together and in uniting us together. You know, God has made us all to be different and there is something amazing and beautiful in that diversity. And then in Jesus, God unites us together as one body made up of all of these different parts with different gifts and abilities and tendencies and preferences. And if we as a church and if we as individuals want to grow in the spirit, then we need to make every effort. And it takes effort. It's hard work sometimes. It costs us sometimes. But we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, to be at peace with one another. Now, if there are people within the church that you have broken relationships with, or people you have hurt you or let you down, or you're struggling with right now, people who maybe you know that you've hurt, be honest with yourself about it. Face it. And let me encourage you to ask God how you can reach out to have a restored relationship with them. To help you to do that, I think this is an amazing verse for you to meditate on. To meditate on these words of Paul. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So number one, keep the unity of the Spirit. Number two, if we want to grow in the Spirit, we need to respect the holiness of the Spirit. You know, when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we can often talk about him as our friend or our comforter or our counselor or our helper. And those kind of things are absolutely right. The Holy Spirit is amazingly loving and he wants to work in your life to help you and to strengthen you and to guide you. But the primary name, the primary characteristic of the Holy Spirit is that he is holy. And that should tell us something. If we really want to walk with the Spirit, if we really want to grow in the Spirit and see more of the Spirit at work in us and through us, then we need to understand the holiness of the Spirit. And so a little later in Ephesians 4 verse 30, we have one of the most important verses in all Paul's writings on the Holy Spirit where he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And this is an amazingly important verse. You know, the first thing that it underlines is that what we, we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about how the Holy Spirit isn't just some kind of force or power that we kind of experience. The Holy Spirit is a person. A person, you know, a force or a power can't be grieved. Only a person can be grieved. You know, what we need to realize if we're going to grow in the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is, who is a person who, yes, you can't see, but is just as real as the person sitting next to you. And a real person 
He's a real person with real feelings and emotions who can be grieved. The second thing that this verse makes clear is that this person of the Holy Spirit is more than just a friend or a chum. He's God. You know, Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You know, and so often we talk about, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about how we kind of get these nudges or these promptings or these, it drops these ideas into our heart and they'll go and talk to someone or to do something or to stop something. And if we want to see more of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us and in us and through us, then we need to realize that these prompts and these nudges are more than just suggestions. That's how we so often seem to treat them. The Holy Spirit might not force us to do things. He might be very gentle in the way that he, he speaks and he leads. But he, if he is God, then it's not a, a question of us getting a prompt and then having a think about whether we think that's a good idea and whether we want to do it or not. The prompt is from the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to treat him as God. To be obedient to him as God. And the third thing that I really want to focus on, and this is the main thing I want to focus on from this verse, is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The reason he can be grieved is because he's got, is because he's holy. That's his characteristic. And the fact that he's holy means that there are certain things that he likes and certain things that he doesn't like. There are things that, that we can do or we can say that have the potential to both grieve him and to please him. And, and so this isn't about doing things or avoiding doing things. You know, sometimes when we talk about holiness and things, we think it's this, this kind of list of rules and regulations that we have to try and make ourselves keep. But this isn't about doing things or avoiding things because we're afraid of being punished or because there's this list of things we've got to do. This is about knowing the Holy Spirit is with us and not wanting to upset him or to grieve him. It's about having a heart that says, I love you and I want to live life with you. So help me to live life in a way that pleases you. You know, those of you who have been, um, have been married for a while, will know that you learn over the years what pleases and what upsets your spouse. You know, and I might still be a work in progress when it comes to actually putting what I've learned into action, but there are a few things that I've learned and I know about with, with Rosie. You know, I know that if I'm distracted and if I only give Rosie half of my attention, um, or even three quarters of my attention when she's talking to me, that that's a very fast road to ending up in the doghouse. You know, it, it doesn't... It might not change the fact that we're married. It might not change the fact that, that she loves me and I love her. It might not change the fact that we're even with each other and she's sat right next to me. But in some way or another, it puts a distance between us. Because I've upset her. And I've grieved her. And similarly, I know that if I want to start the day well with Rosie, then I can get up and, and I can get take the kids all downstairs and I can make her a cup of tea, take the cup of tea up and give her 20-minute space in bed to begin the day. And then I know that that will help to there to be a closeness between us because I've done something which blesses her and which pleases her and which makes her happy. You know, and it's the same when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit and the choices that we make to either live life in a way that grieves him 
or in a way that pleases him. And I don't know about you, but I, I want to grow in the Spirit and to know what it is to live life with a, with a power, not just of the Spirit being with me, but of an ungrieved Spirit close to me. At work in me and through me to see lives changed. And there is nothing else like that on planet Earth. And so I don't want to spoil that by living life in a way that grieves him. And creates a bit of a distance between us. Even though he's with me. Even though that doesn't change. Even though that promise is there. And I can't do anything that's going to shake that. Because I'm sealed by the spirit and it's secure. So I'm not suggesting anything of losing it. But as we grieve him. It, relationally it causes a distance between us. And if you read around this verse. Paul gives us some great indications of, of what grieves the Holy Spirit. And of what pleases him. He says don't lie. The Holy Spirit doesn't like lying. Instead, speak the truth in love. The Holy Spirit loves that. It says, don't steal or be lazy or be greedy. The Holy Spirit doesn't like that. Instead, become an encourager and make sure that your words are wholesome. It says, don't be bitter or angry. Not only does the Holy Spirit not like that, but actually Paul goes on and says that holding on to anger and bitterness gives a foothold for the enemy in our lives. It says, instead, forgive and become kind and loving and compassionate. The Holy Spirit really likes that. It says, don't play with sexual immorality or idolatry. The Holy Spirit really doesn't like that. Don't mess around with what Paul calls the deeds of darkness. But live in the light. Because the Holy Spirit, he loves that. And it might be that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on an area in your life. And don't fight it. Don't be afraid of it. Don't try and hide from it. Your God who loves you is simply wanting to show you how to live life in a way that pleases him. How to live life in a way which is going to enable a closeness to him and for his power to be at work in your life without any limit or anything getting in the way or any kind of roadblock or obstacle. He's wanting to, to work in you and through you and to show you changes that you can make in your life that will enable you to grow in him. So number one, keep the unity of the spirit. Number two, respect the holiness of the Spirit. And number three, be continually filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5 verse 18, Paul writes, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I love the message translation of this which says, don't drink too much wine which cheapens your life. Instead, drink huge drafts of the Holy Spirit. It's a great image, isn't it? No, the Bible isn't against alcohol as a whole, but it is against drunkenness. You know, drunkenness leads to a loss of self-control and to doing things that you regret. It harms you and it can harm the people around you. And so Paul is saying, don't become subhuman. Don't cheapen your life by being stuffed full of alcohol that messes with your brain. 
Instead, become truly human, fully human. Become who God made you to be. Discover life as he intended it for you in all of its fullness by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the word that Paul uses for being filled in the Greek really comes with a sense of going ongoingly being filled. It's drinking these huge drafts. To be a Christian and filled with the Spirit is not a one-off experience that we can just kind of tick off a box and say, yes, I've had that done. I've received the Spirit. Fantastic. It's a daily looking to God and receiving from God. And allowing God to work in you and through you. And if you're struggling and feeling empty and battling with temptation, do you know what? People can give you all the advice in the world. You can try and do a whole bunch of different stuff, but deep down, what you really need is to be filled with the Spirit. And you'll have the power to overcome. You know, if I'm being grumpy and I'm easily losing my temper... You know, I can try and hold all of that in and and keep it together by my own kind of strength of, of just willpower. But what I really need at the end of the day is to be filled again with the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy and patience. So I'm lacking in that fruit in those times when I'm grumpy, there's no joy. In those times when I'm losing my temper, there's no patience. You know, very often what we try and do is to treat the symptoms as to what's going on in our lives. Treat the symptoms of our problems when really what we needed to learn is what it means to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And allow God to help us and to transform us from the inside out. And God's intention, God's best, isn't just that we would come to him and and have a little sip. You know, we kind of dip our toe in the water and we feel kind of that little bit cooled down, that little bit refreshed because the water's cool on our toes. Not that we just receive enough of the Spirit to help us to keep going. God's best for us is that as we see in Ezekiel, we dive in head first to the point of the river where it's overflowing and it covers us and we're overcome with the Spirit. It's that we would be filled with the Spirit to such an extent that we overflow. That's why Paul goes on and he writes this. He says in verse 19, Instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think here Paul's picking up on something that Jesus talked about. He's picking up on what Jesus says elsewhere. He says, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. And so so Paul is saying, when we are continually filled with the Spirit, there will be an overflow. And the first place that you will see that overflow is what's coming out of your mouth. What it is that you're speaking, what it is that you're singing, what it is that you're saying. And so based on what Paul writes here, a great test of how full you are of the Spirit is what is it that's coming out of your mouth? What is it that's overflowing from your mouth? You know, and I see it in my own life. I already talked about being grumpy and impatient and losing my temper. And in those times when those kind of things are coming out of my mouth, I know that I'm not operating and living life filled with the Spirit. You know, I know that if I neglect my personal devotions and I don't properly connect with God each day, that I am giving out of my leftovers, which will very quickly run dry. 
And I'm much more likely to struggle. You know, sometimes we can get into the habit and we just think it's part of who we are and we have this kind of grumbling mentality and we think, well, this is just me. But you know, a spirit-filled person is a grateful person. And it doesn't mean that things aren't hard sometimes. But it means that in the midst of difficulties, you are so filled with the Spirit of God that the Spirit within you is giving you God's perspective on what it is that you're facing. He's reminding you of all that you have. He's reminding you of all that God has given you that you've got to be thankful for. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, you begin to see things through God's lenses and through His way. You begin to see things and you have faith and hope stirred in your heart because you know God is with you and He is for you. And what more could there be? And so if we want to grow in the Spirit, then we need to prioritize time in our days to receive the Spirit and to wait on God and to be filled with the Spirit. And if you want to think in each day, is there a test to see, am I filled with the Spirit? Am I living out of the Spirit of God today? Then what's the overflow of your mouth? And if you catch yourself with things coming out of your mouth that are not the things which reflect the Spirit of God, Take it as a wake-up call in that moment to stop and to make time to spend with God, to allow him to fill us with his spirit, to receive from him, because out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. The last point that I want to make then, if we want to grow in the spirit, then we need to make time to pray. Now, right at the end of the letter in Ephesians 6, verse 18, Paul writes this. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, when it comes to to growing in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit and experiencing more of the Spirit in us and through us, both individually and together as a church. You know, Paul says to pray for all the Lord's people. I don't think we can overemphasize the importance of prayer. You know, taking, of taking the time to pray, of having an awareness of God with you. And so speaking to him and listening to him, Paul says on all occasions, whatever it is that's going on, in everything that you're doing, in every moment of every day, no matter what it is, And with all kinds of prayers and requests, Paul's saying, no, it doesn't matter how big or small it is, it doesn't matter what it is, talk to God about everything, making a part of everything that you're facing, with all kinds of prayers and requests, about anything and everything. Whatever's going on in your life, God wants to be involved in every area of your life. But specifically, Paul says, this little phrase says, pray in the Spirit. And I think what Paul is talking about here is how the Holy Spirit, it's not just how the Holy Spirit helps us to pray through, through kind of guiding us and leading us and prompting us with what we pray. But I think what he's talking about here when he says to pray in the Spirit is is to, to pray using the spiritual gift of tongues. You know, and some people, some people can be a little bit nervous about the gift of tongues. But you know, for me, I find praying in tongues one of the most wonderful and helpful things. You know, I know that my English language is limited. And I know that my brain gets tired and I can struggle to think of what to say. Sometimes my heart is stirred and I want to praise God and I want to thank God and there are so, only so many times that thank you kind of cuts it. 
before it begins to just lose its meaning. And in that moment, I can move to praising God through the gift of tongues. Praising God by praying in the Spirit, knowing that the Spirit is putting words to the cry of my heart. Words that I can't begin to think of. You know, there are times when my heart is moved to, to pray for someone and the situation that they face and how awful it is. And I want to see God move in that area. But it's so horrific that I don't even really know where to begin. I don't even really know how to pray or what to pray or, or what to, or I don't even really know what the right answer is and what's going to be good for them in that. And so my words and my brain is just so limited. And in those moments, I can pray in tongues and the Spirit gives words to the cry of my heart. You know, there are times when there isn't anything in particular that I want to pray about. There's nothing particular that's on my mind that I want to be talking to God about, but there is just something in my heart and in my spirit that wants to be with him and to connect with him and to know him with me. I've got nothing to say. And so as I'm walking along the street, I just start to pray in tongues. As I pray in tongues, I just get this amazing sense of my spirit connecting with his spirit and knowing him with me. As you pray in the Spirit, as you pray in tongues, you build yourself up. You encourage yourself in faith. And you partner with the Spirit in praying for others in a way that you can't possibly do with your own words and limitations in order to see God at work in their lives and in their situations and across our communities. And so for me, being able to pray in the Spirit, being able to pray in tongues is an incredible gift that has helped me to connect with God and to grow in the Spirit in an amazing way. And so, whether you have the gift of tongues or not, let me encourage you, if you want to grow in the Spirit, take time to pray. Take time to connect with God and to meet with God and to wait on God in all occasions, whatever's going on, in the midst of anything and everything. But if you don't have the gift of tongues, let me encourage you, if it's something that your heart is stirred to say, I would love to have that. I would love to be able to pray in that kind of a way and connect with God in that kind of a way. Let me encourage you this morning to ask God for it. Because his heart is to bless you and to give you good gifts and good things. Come and there'll be a prayer ministry team available here at the front and they'd love to to pray with you. So if you want to grow in the Holy Spirit, and if we want to grow in the Holy Spirit as a church and see more of God at work in us and through us, in ever-increasing ways, then Paul teaches us that we need to keep the unity of the Spirit. We need to respect the holiness of the Spirit. We need to be continually filled with the Spirit. And we need to make time to pray 